0: Last week we talked about, or not last week, a few weeks ago, we talked about joy. We talked about our connection of joy and gratitude. We talked about the enemy of joy, the opposite, which is fear, and and how our personal gratitude helps us grow that divine seed of joy that has been put inside of us when we receive the Holy Ghost. But it's not just the Lord that must give me joy, but it's those moments of gratitude, Excuse me. It's those moments of gratitude that we have that allow that joy to be our strength when we need it. And throughout Scripture, there's a number of things or events that joy is associated with. And we mentioned some of them last week. Uh, We we mentioned we know that there's a joy that comes with the Holy Ghost and a joy that comes with salvation. We know that something divine has been put inside of us. I. I know you, you remember the moment when you received the Holy Ghost, if you have it in your life, and you know that something divine happened in your life. It wasn't just another service, it wasn't just another moment, it wasn't just a brief fleeting glimpse of happiness, but something divine happened in your life. The joy we receive and the knowledge that we have been saved from something that you and I could do nothing about. There was nothing I could do to get out of my sins, out of the situation I was in. And so the joy that I feel is I realize that God has done something in my life that only He can do. Habakkuk, it says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. This morning, I'm glad for the joy of my salvation. I'm glad that He looked down and saw me one day and He said my soul one day, and I'm thankful for the joy that was placed inside of me. Romans chapter 5 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and we rejoice in the hope. Of the glory of God. I just didn't have get salvation one time at an altar. But now I have access to the throne of God. I have access by the faith that I demonstrated. That I stand in the grace where I can stand here today. That I can lift holy hands. That I can worship. That I can praise Him. And I rejoice in the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the salvation of God in my life today. Why don't you clap your hands to Him this morning. If you're glad that you're saved today. I'm on a strange combination of drugs this morning. It involves donuts and cough drops. Got to dilute it a little bit with some water. So I'm thankful we know that there's a joy that is associated with salvation. There's a joy that's associated in scripture with his grace and his mercy. How many of you are thankful for his grace? and your mercy in your life. I'm glad grace simply means that God's given me things I don't deserve. His mercy means He's held back things that I do deserve in my life. I'm thankful for the blessings of God. I'm thankful for the grace of God when I didn't deserve things, when I didn't deserve His blessings, when I didn't deserve what was given to me, that His grace looked down and I rejoice in the grace of God today. I'm thankful for the mercy of God in my life. There's plenty of stuff that should have come my way. There's times I should have been smacked in the middle of, the, in the middle of my foot. But His mercy stopped things in my life. I'm thankful for His mercy. The psalmist says in Psalms 45 thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed me with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. There's a, there's a gladness that came when he realized about the grace of God, that he realized that something had come to him that hadn't come to anybody else. And I'm thankful for the blessings of God in my life. I'm thankful for the oil of gladness that's been poured out in my life. Where would I be without the grace of God? Where would I be without the mercy of God in my life? Psalms 23 says, thou prepare A table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. You know what? There's been plenty of times when my enemies have surrounded me. And there's been plenty of times when I deserved what the enemy was bringing my way. But in the middle of my enemies, the Lord created a space of mercy for me. And He prepared a table for me that I could uh, have rest, that I could have strength, even when I didn't deserve. And there was stuff that was coming my way. God allowed me to have joy in the Holy Ghost. And He anointed my head with oil of gladness. I'm glad that His mercy kept my enemies. Enemies at bay. I'm glad that I didn't get everything that I had coming my way. And he didn't just fill my cup, but he says, my cup runs over now. And my cup is running over that he didn't give me just enough, but he gave me more than enough in my life. I'm thankful. I'm joyful. I'm gra- I'm gracious for his mercy and his grace in my life. We also have the joy of heaven in our life. The verse we read before in Romans chapter 5 says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I know what that ultimate glory is while I experience His presence here on earth. While I experience heavenly places here on earth. I know it's just a down payment. I know it's just a taste of what's to come. And so my hope does not rest in this world, but I have a joy of heaven to come. First Peter says... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. It's not a hope that's dead. It's not a hope that's dormant. But I have a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible that's undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you and I who are kept by the power of God. You're being kept this morning by the power of God. Through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And because of all this, because there's an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that's waiting for me, I greatly rejoice, though now for a season if need be. I might be in the middle of a bunch of trials. I might be in the middle of a bunch of circumstances that aren't going my way, but I can greatly rejoice because I've got a joy in heaven today. I've got a hope beyond this earth. I've got something greater waiting for me today. I'm thankful for the joy that heaven brings brings to my life. Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells them, notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I'm thankful that my name is written in heaven today. There's a lot of places my name could be written. It could be written in a lot of negative ways, but I'm glad this morning that it's written in heaven, that my joy is in heaven, that my hope is in heaven today. There's a lot of things to be joyful about in Scripture. There's many events. There's all these that are connected with joy, with the fulfillment of joy. And it's these things. I can be, we mentioned the joy of the cross last week. And as I'm grateful for these things, they increase that divine joy in my life. And I believe that joy is incomplete. Without these aspects, I can't have complete joy if I'm not joyful in my salvation. If I can't rejoice over His grace and mercy, I don't have complete joy. If I can't rejoice and, and, and find joy in the hope of heaven, I don't have complete joy. I, and again, I want to reiterate this morning, I said it a few weeks ago, I don't think that you can have the fullness of joy without the Holy Ghost. I think it's impossible. You can experience moments of happiness. You can, you can get a taste of joy, but you can't live and walk in joy without the Holy Ghost. If you're looking for joy this morning, you don't need to jump higher. You don't need to shout louder. You need the Holy Ghost to work in your life today. These are all a part of, if you will, full joy. But there's one joy that is prevalent throughout Scripture and is the reason, uh, uh, in fact, that we, we are celebrating this week coming up. Uh, I'm not going to go through the whole story of Thanksgiving, aren't you glad? I didn't learn about the story of Thanksgiving. uh, So I just had to look it up on Wikipedia. But as pilgrims uh, came to the... As as rebels came to this new world... Sorry, that's just a joke. (laughs) They were fleeing from the English, as the whole world has done. (laughs) But as pilgrims came to this new world... They found it to be a struggle for existence. And again, I'm not going into great detail about it, but many of them died as they fought the harsh new environment that was unfamiliar to them. But it was in the fall of 1621 that, se- that things seemed to take a turn for the better. Uh, there, there, sickness was still there. It wasn't absent. There was still sickness. It had taken a temporary halt, and, and, and that seemed to be over with. Houses had been built. They weren't living in lean-tos anymore. They would constructed some houses and some buildings there. But most importantly, the reason that we're having the week that we're, we're going to have coming up here on celebrating on Thursday is not because sickness was absent. It's not because houses were built. It wasn't just because even of a new land. But the reason that they celebrated was because of the harvest. It was a celebration of the harvest. So it was they sat down together to celebrate and to feel this one thing, they felt the joy of the harvest. There was joy over the houses. I'm sure as houses were completed and they worked together to build them, I'm sure there was joy over every building built. I'm sure there was joy over the community that they had formed together as, as other people even joined. I'm sure there was joy over that. And I, I know there was joy that came with survival, that in the midst of death and sickness, that, that I had made it through that horrible time, there's joy just with survival, but The only reason that they had a feast, the only reason that they gathered together and sat down, the only reason that we still celebrate today is not because of the houses built, it's not because of survival, it's not because of the community, but it was because of the joy of the harvest. In fact, in in almost every culture there's something that that arises, there's a celebration of some sort when a harvest is brought forth. Something arises inside of us that, that really nothing else seems to cause in our life. And I've never been a farmer. I'm not very good with plants except for cutting them down. Uh, i found that most plants can be cut with a riding lawnmower, so I, I do know that. Uh, <laughs> but, but there's something that comes with the joy of the harvest. In Scripture, in fact, you you can read in Leviticus, as the law is given, there's many events and celebrations and ceremonies that surrounded this one particular event, the event of harvest, of what you did when the harvest came in, of how you celebrated when the harvest came in, of what had to be given to God when the harvest came in. And it was as I began looking at joy that I came across this one aspect of joy, and that there's a joy that is only connected with the harvest. There's no other way to get that joy except through the harvest. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2, it says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest. And as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Now that phrase in there, and not increased in joy, it actually means the opposite, that they were increased in joy. I'm not sure why. It says they weren't, but they were. The way that it's worded in English isn't all that great. But it says that thou hast multiplied the nation their joy has been increased. They joy before thee, not according to their salvation. They don't joy according to the blessings of God. They don't joy according to a hope that they have. But they joy according to the joy in harvest. And the thing that I want us to understand this morning is that there is a joy. We're talk- I've been talking about joy this month. Is that there is a joy that is connected and is only associated with the harvest. And it's unlike any other joy that you and I can have in our life. The joy that they have is in proportion of, to the harvest that they have gathered. If there's no harvest, there's no joy. If there's a great harvest, there's great joy. And this joy is not found in any other situation or any other circumstance. In fact, a bad harvest was very often connected with punishment. And and, and there was a despair, there was an anguish, as there should be in the natural if the harvest does not come through. There There was something that was missing from the people if there was no harvest. Now you and I know in the natural, if the harvest doesn't come in, food is missing from you and I. I enjoy food. I'm glad when the harvest comes in. I'm glad when they start uh, harvesting the fields around, because I know there will at least be some wheat or something or corn or something like that, at least. But I'm glad for the harvest. But when there is no harvest, there's a despair that comes with that. Jeremiah 42 says, O vine of Simma, I will weep for thee with the weeping of Jazer. Thy plants are gone over the sea. They reach even unto the sea of Jazer. The spoiler is fallen upon thy summer fruits and upon thy vintage. And joy and gladness is taken from the plentiful field and from the land of Moab. And I have caused wine to fail from the winepress. None shall tread with shouting. Their shouting shall be no shouting. You see, there was no shouting There was no joy in Mudville. The mighty Casey had... I just don't know why that came into my mind. (laughs) But the shouting, it says, the joy had ceased. And it didn't cease because they weren't saved anymore. It didn't cease because there was no more blessings. It didn't cease because there was no more grace, no more mercy. But the verse tells us specifically why there was no joy. Why there was no shouting anymore. And it was because the harvest had failed. In Isaiah 16, it says, For the fields of Heshbon language, and the vine here again of Simma, the lords of the heathen have broken down the principal plants thereof. They are come even unto Jazer. They have wandered through the wilderness. Her branches are stretched out. They are gone over the sea. Therefore, I will bewail with the weeping of Jazer, the vine. I will water thee with my tears, for the shouting for thy summer fruits, and for thy harvest is fallen." It not only tells us that there's no joy, but there's an anguish, there's a despair. There's something uh, primal that it happens to man when there's no harvest. There's this idea of desperation that happens to man when the harvest doesn't come in. And we see the shout, the joy is once again connected in direct proportion to the results of the harvest. When there was great harvest, it was great joy. When there was no harvest, there was no shouting. There was no joy. There was unrealized joy. A good harvest could solve a lot of issues in the land because it brought a lot of joy to the land. And today I come to you with, I mentioned already, a conviction today in my own heart. And I'm sure you've heard preachers say it before, I'm preaching to myself today. I don't know if it could ever be truer said than when I say it today that this message is for myself. There's nothing like your own message convicting you. But I come with a conviction today, a challenge, a question and it's not for the church, but it's for you as an individual. And I ask myself this question When was the last time that I experienced the joy of the harvest? When was the last time I received the joy? of the harvest and I think it's relevant for us today because we're about to to enter we're in this time of 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 a holiday time of celebration of rejoicing for a physical harvest that took place hundreds of years ago and whatever your tradition is you may sit around a table and everyone go around and say what they're thankful for and those that there's nothing wrong with all those things But but most of us will probably go to the store, we'll buy stuff. We won't really experience the same joy that they had on that first harvest as they realized with their own work, with their own effort, as the Lord blessed the increase, what they had received. And so we don't really experience that anymore. And in my own personal walk with God, I ask myself the same question. Have I gone to the store to buy a harvest? Do I just go to church and see guests and see people receive the Holy Ghost? But where's the joy of my own harvest? In my life. (laughs) And I I believe that we should rejoice when somebody experiences repentance. I believe that. It doesn't matter if you were involved or not. I believe as a church we should rejoice when somebody repents. I believe we should rejoice when somebody experiences salvation. That's biblical and that's right. But my question to you today is when when was the last time that you felt the joy? When was the last time that you felt the shout, the excitement of harvest within your own life? And uh, to be honest with you, I I didn't study a whole lot for this message. (laughs) All I had to do was just think about myself. So I want to just present you with a few things this morning. I believe the Lord laid on my heart, the Lord pointed out my own heart as excuses for not having a harvest. Excuses for not having a harvest. The first one is the term sower is not a calling. And, and maybe this morning, maybe maybe none of these will hit you, but that's all right. I need it this morning. The term sower is not a calling. We don't find anywhere in Scripture where people are called to be sowers specifically. It's not in there. First Corinthians chapter three says, "I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase." Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. This verse doesn't tell us that there's some people who are called simply to sow. It doesn't tell us that there's some people who are called simply to water. No, it just tells us that we can play multiple parts, different parts in the harvest, but we are not specifically called just to be a sower. And let me just say, I believe that God has put you where you need to be in your life. And I believe that God has got you in a place of employment. God has got you in the school or college that you're in for a reason. And I believe that we are called to sow seed. In fact, in Mark, Jesus tells him that we are all supposed to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And preaching doesn't mean getting up behind a pulpit, but it means simply sharing the gospel. So if you share the gospel If you plant the seed, you are preaching no matter where you are. And I believe that God has placed you where you need to be. I don't know if he's placed you there to sow. I don't know if he's placed you there to water. And I don't know if he's placed you there to harvest. But I do know that God has not called us to perpetually be a sower in our lives. You may be where you are to plant the seed. However, I believe that just because I may be planting the seed at work or I may be planting the Word of God at school does not negate me from being a harvester in my life somewhere. I may have to go outside of my comfort zone to find a harvest sometimes. It simply states in this verse that the one who sows may not be the one that reaps. And the one that reaps may not be the one that has sowed. But we are all called to sow the seed. But we are all also called to the harvest. Psalms 126 says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I can't be content knowing that my life is just an example. Well, anyway. I believe that you and I are called to be a witness wherever we go. How many of you believe that? And I believe that my life can be a greater witness than my words. How many of you know that? That living a godly Christian life on my job can be greater than me standing on top of the lunchroom table and proclaiming the word of God. How many of you know that's right? But let me tell you this, I'm challenged in my own life that I can't look back and be satisfied simply because I lived my life as a Christian and never saw a harvest and just say, well, God called me to be a sower and just to live my life right. No, God has called us to be in the harvest in our life. He's called us to sow and be godly and be righteous. But there should be a harvest within our own life too. There's a joy that's missing in my life. And we, we, I mentioned the scripture many times last week. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And I, I think it's connected somehow that I struggle to get through circumstances. I struggle to get through situations. And God has challenged me. Maybe the reason that you're struggling is because there's no harvest. And so you can't experience the joy of a harvest. And it's driving you. It's pushing you. I need to see a harvest in my life. God has not called me to be a sower. He's called everyone to be a sower. He's called everyone to be a harvester. Which leads me to the second excuse. I can't always be in a sowing season. You know, and I apologize. It's the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and I hate to pull back the rug maybe on your life. I'm pulling it back on mine. Because sometimes, you know, you you ever done some real cleaning, and you lift the couch, Or you pull out the couch cushions. (laughs) Yeah. Or you open the kids' closet and they've cleaned their room. (laughs) I apologize that I, I may possibly be doing that to you. But you know what? I can't always be in a sewing season. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. Scripture is clear that there are times and seasons and that God's, God holds both the times and the seasons in His hands. You know what? First of all, this gives me encouragement and strength because I know that He knows where I am. No matter what time it is in my life, no matter what season it is in my life, if they're in His hands, then God knows exactly where I am in my life. He hasn't forgotten me. He hasn't left me. And it also reminds me that if He holds it all in His hand, then He has the power to change my time he has the power to change my season no matter the impossibility or what may be going on if he holds it he can change it however i have to understand this too and this is true in nature and this is true spiritually That seasons and times have two things in common they're both temporary they're both temporary Let me say we rejoice in this fact when it comes to our trouble and trials. We rejoice that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning as we should rejoice because we know that times and seasons change. And so I know if I'm in the middle of trouble, it won't always be trouble. I know if I'm in a good time, I better strengthen myself because a bad time may come my way because times and seasons change. But if that's true, and I believe it is, then how can I be content in my own life to simply say that I'm living in a perpetual season of sowing? Let me challenge you today. Let me ask you some hard questions today. How many years have you been sowing? And I commend you for faithfulness. And, and again, I, I, I'm asking you to join with me in my conviction. <laughs> I'm miserable anyway. I'm asking you to join me in my misery. How many years have you been faithfully living for God on the job? How many years have you been faithfully doing what you know is right? And if the door opens, planting a seed. But let me remind you that you cannot live in a perpetual state of sowing in your life because seasons change. If you have not experienced a season of harvest in your life, I am challenging you today to investigate your life, to check your life. You know what? I can't go year after year after year with no harvest and feel, uh, and feel righteous in God's eyes. I can't feel worthy in His eyes. I better make sure that I haven't missed the harvest in my life. Or maybe I'm just hibernating through the summer. Maybe I'm hibernating through the harvest. I'm challenging you today. To look at your life and say, Lord, I know I'm sowing. I know I'm doing what's right. I know I'm doing what's pleasing. But God, I want to know where the harvest is in my life. I want to know where it is, God. Why am I not seeing a harvest? in my life. I don't want to be satisfied. I don't want to be content with just being a sower. I don't want to be content with just saying this is the season of sowing. But God, I've got to have a harvest in my life. I've got to see something come to fruition in my life. I've got to have the joy of the harvest in my life one more time. The third excuse that I challenge you today with is that your promise may not be your harvest. Your promise may not be your harvest. I'm thankful for the promises of God. Second Corinthians tells us to lay aside. Second Corinthians tells us for all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen unto the glory of God with by us. This verse lets us know that when God promises something, we can affirm it or accept it with a yes. And then there's a confirmation or agreement when I say amen to what God has said. Or another way that I can say it in today's vernacular, if God said it, I can believe it. I can put my faith in it. I can believe in the Word of God if He's promised me. I'm thankful that I can trust the Word of God today. And I know that if He has given me a promise in my life then I don't have to worry about whether it can come to pass. I don't have to worry about whether it's possible. I don't have to worry about the situation seems to be getting worse. If God said it, then all I need to do is say yes and amen because I know if God said it, that he will do it in my life. And I know there's promises that God has given to, to people in this congregation about people, about their salvation, about spouses, about children, about family, about friends, whoever it may be in your life. And that promise provides a focus for us. And I'm not saying lose faith in a promise at all. That's not what I'm saying. But I, and I believe we should I believe in that with all of our heart. But I believe sometimes those promises put our attention upon that person as a promise would. But I want to challenge you today that just because you have a promise doesn't mean that's your harvest. Because Scripture's already told us that one person plants, one person waters, God gives the increase. But just because God has given me a promise does not mean that's my harvest. Now it may be. But the challenge is in my life is because we become so focused on the promise. We become so focused on that individual. We get involved with that person. And we want to see their salvation so badly. And God's given us a promise about the salvation. But my challenge to you today is if that's not my harvest, then I'm missing the harvest that God actually has for me in my life. And I don't want to become so focused on the promise of God that I miss the harvest that God has for my life. I hope you understand what I'm saying today. I'm not saying quit on the promise. I'm not saying back up on the promise. I'm not saying don't I'm not saying quit praying for that. I'm not saying that at all. But perhaps the reason I'm not seeing a harvest is because the harvest is not where I think it is. I'm looking at the promise and saying, God, that's my harvest. And God's got somebody else lined up to save your kids. He's got somebody else lined up to save your spouse. He's got somebody else. And you're missing the chance to save someone else's kids. That doesn't mean that I quit planning. It doesn't mean that I quit praying. But I need to ask the Lord, Lord, where is the harvest at in my life? Lord, where is it that I'm supposed to be working? Maybe i become frustrated in my own life. Maybe my joy is struggling. Maybe I I feel like nothing is happening year after year after year. And I'm frustrated with the harvest. Perhaps the reason is, is because I'm looking at the wrong harvest. I'm trying to harvest in a field that's not even mine to harvest. Maybe if I could simply do what the Word of God says to do and simply trust the Word of God. And you know what? Believe that God can provide the harvester in my kid's life. That God can provide the harvester in my friend's life. That God can provide a harvester in my spouse's life when the time is right, when the moment's right. God will send somebody into the harvest to accomplish the work that He's promised. Three excuses well, I'm just a sower. Well, I'm just in a sowing season. Well, my promise is connected with my harvest. It may be, but that doesn't mean it is. Let me just remind you this morning that the harvest is always white somewhere. Jesus said it over 2,000 years ago. Lift up your eyes, look on the fields. They're white and ready to be harvested. He said it over 2,000 years ago in the present tense, and it's still the present tense today. It's always white somewhere. Luke chapter 14 and verse 21. This is a famous parable. And this guy's getting married, so he sends out a servant to his close friends. He sends out a, He sends him to his close friends. And you've... You've heard, you've heard people uh, say things and preach about stuff, and I believe that we can be a great witness to our friends and family because we have influence, we have all that stuff there. And that's what this guy did. He said, go get my friends, go get those closest to me, go get those who know me the best, and invite them to the marriage. Invite them to church. Go to your buddies, go to all my good friends, and invite them to church. So the servant did that. He went to one, and he, was, he just got married. I mean, I wonder how close a friend he was if the guy didn't know he just got married. Anyway, <laughs> another guy just bought cows. I mean, that's real important. There was a variety of excuses that came. And Luke fourteen twenty one says, So that servant came and showed his Lord these things, told him what had happened. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the hauled and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges. I don't know who lives in a hedge, but they were there. And compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. You know what? This is challenging to me. Because you know what, when I, when I hear a message, when I feel convicted about reaching out to the lost, you know who I think about? I think about my friends. I think about my family. And I believe the Lord has placed us in situations. But perhaps I'm just called to sow to my friends and family. And you know what, I wonder how many times we beat our heads against the wall trying to invite and invite and invite and invite to the marriage. Notice in this story, the servant was not sent back to those people. That doesn't mean, I believe, that they were barred from the marriage forever. It just they weren't ready. But you know what? When they weren't ready, the servant was sent somewhere else because the harvest is always white somewhere. Perhaps the reason you're not seeing the harvest is because people are too bothered with their cows. Perhaps they've got a bunch of reasons and excuses, and you wonder why you can't see a harvest. I keep inviting, I keep talking to them, and nothing happens. I'm challenging you today to realize the harvest is white somewhere in your life. You may have to move on to somewhere else, but there's a harvest in our lives. Already mentioned in John chapter four, Jesus said, "Say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white." And ready to harvest. My challenge to you today is to lift up your eyes today and look on the fields, Jesus says. Sometimes we're so focused on our own little field. And again, I believe that God has placed us where we are for reasons, but it may not be for the harvest. I'm challenging you today to lift up your eyes and say, Lord, I want to see the fields today. I want to see the people in this community because somebody wants God at this moment. It may not be your friend, it may not be your family, but somebody is looking for God today in your life. There's a harvest in your life today. And I don't want to be content saying it's not the season for harvest. I don't want to be content in my life saying, you know what? Well, I don't really know that person. or I don't really know much about that person. I don't want to be content with saying, well, I'm just a planter. I just sow the seed. But no, there's a harvest in my life that I am responsible for. So I challenge you today. It may be time for you to switch fields. John chapter 21 and verse 6 This is a story where they've been out fishing all night. Been out fishing all night. They come in, they haven't caught any fish. And they come in and Jesus says unto them, cast your net on the right side of the ship and you'll find. They cast their four and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. There's a harvest in this community. I'm challenged this morning because you know what I feel like in my own life? Maybe you don't feel this way. That's fine. But I feel like in my own life, I feel just like the disciples. I've cast my net. I've toiled all night. I've tried different bait. I've tried all kinds of stuff. And I've come to the realization, I just don't want to be a fisherman anymore. I ain't no good at it. But I've toiled all night. I've done everything I know how to do. I've read all the books. I've gone to the seminars. I've, I've prayed. I've, I've done everything and nothing has worked. There's no fish. And he called me to be a fisher of men. And there's no fish. And I simply come to Jesus. And he just says, why don't you switch what side you're fishing on? Why don't you look at a different field? Because you know what? There's always a field ready to be harvested. I'm challenged because you know what? There's a field ready. I'm, I'm tired of excuses in my own life. I'm tired of it. We had someone come and they, they mentioned some statistics about people in the city of Salem. And there's, there's about uh, there's 36 or so churches in this community. And you know what? The vast majority of this community, well, they may be out of church by now, but they, they have been in church somewhere today. And you know what? Sometimes I get tired of casting my net on that side. I'm tired of it. But you know what those statistics told me in a town this small? And that's membership roles, so that's, that's a lot of leeway there. That this morning, there was roughly 1,200 people not in church this morning. Don't tell me there's not a harvest. We couldn't build a building big enough to, to house those just who aren't in church. You know what? There's a harvest in this community. And I'm tired of putting my net down on the same side again and again. I believe God is telling us, look to a different field in your life. There's a harvest somewhere in your life if you're willing to look and listen to the voice of God. I wonder what harvest may be waiting for you and I. I wonder what harvest may be waiting for this church if we would simply look to the other side of the boat. And I don't mean look to the other side of the tracks because you know what? Sometimes we think, well, I'll just go to people who have nothing. I don't know where the harvest is. The Lord of the harvest knows where it is. So I need to pray the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. I don't know where it is, but I'm challenged in my life. I've got to find a harvest in my life. I can't be content with just sowing anymore, but there must be be a harvest in my life. I believe it's time to lift our vision again and to see the harvest anew today. Matthew 9, chapter 36. I'm finishing up here. Jesus said, but when he saw the, this is telling the story about Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Jesus never asked us to pray for sowers. He never asked us to pray for people who would go to their work and and be good Christians. He never asked us to pray for students who would go to school and be a good example. All those are important. Because he knew He knew we could do that. But the one thing he did ask us to pray for, the only prayer request that Jesus had, in fact, was that we would pray that there would be some harvesters. As I ask myself this question today, am I a harvester? Could I possibly be an answer to the Lord's prayer request? I don't know if it challenges you, it challenges me. Because you know what? There would be nothing greater. As as we're looking towards Thanksgiving and we sit down and celebrate the feast and, and all that great stuff, I would love to come to church with the shout of the harvest on my lips. I would love to come to church and lift my hands with the joy of the harvest in my heart. And you know what? I wonder what would happen in our services is instead of we coming here and I believe we should be thankful for His grace, His mercy, for His encouragement, His strength. That doesn't negate any of that. But what kind of service will we have If we came rejoicing in the joy of the harvest this past week. When I look back and see what the Lord has done in my life and through my life, I wonder if there'd be something completely different that would happen in my own life. Something completely different that would happen in this church as we see the joy of the harvest. Jesus looked out and saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion. When was the last time the multitude moved you? I'm not talking about your kids. I'm not talking about your family members. I'm not talking about your friends, although Jesus looked at them and he was moved with compassion for them too. I'm not talking about just your neighbors that you know. But when was the last time you looked out on the multitude, faces you don't know, were moved with compassion? When was the last time you were moved with compassion that you wept for Salem, not just your family? When was the last time that, that you felt compassion For Iuka, not just the few neighbors. When was the last time that Odin was placed on your heart? Because you know what, there's a harvest somewhere. I believe it's time for us to quit making excuses for our lack of harvest. And again, I could play this off on the church. The church needs to harvest. No, you know what, I need to. You know what, it's time to quit spiritualizing my failure. Well, I'm a sower. It's a season. Those are all true, but I can't spiritualize away my, my, my lack of harvest. And this doesn't mean that I have to leave here and go knock on doors this afternoon, this afternoon but this means that I do need to seek God. And I need to ask him and say, Lord, I know there's a harvest in my life. And Lord, I need you to show me where it is because I'm not content anymore. Lord, I need the joy of the harvest in my life. I don't want to be satisfied unless I'm seeing a harvest in my life. It may be my neighbor. It may be my family. Or it could be a person I've never met. It could be a waiter or a waitress that I've seen for the first time. It could be the checker at Walmart. It could be this kid at school that you've never met before. The point is, is somewhere in your life there's a harvest that is ready and there's a joy that comes with that harvest and I want that joy in my life I want to feel that in my life I'm tired of having fruitless season after fruitless season but I want to experience the joy of harvest for myself as we stand this morning I don't know this morning if possibly I've hit on any of your excuses maybe you don't have an excuse I don't know what everyone does in their personal life. I know there's people in here that are seeing a harvest in their life. But I felt such a conviction in my own life. And we're talking about joy and gratitude and thankfulness. And God spoke to me and said, there's a joy that you cannot have without a harvest. Perhaps you have lost your joy. It's laying in a field somewhere waiting to be harvested. And I'm looking all around. I can feel real good about saying I'm in a sowing season. I can feel good about saying, well, I'm just called to plant. Until I think about standing before the Lord. Lord, you called me to plant. All he has to do is open the Bible for me. It's not there. I was called to harvest. Well, Lord, I, I, I didn't see perhaps you had quit looking for the harvest. Perhaps it was in some place that you didn't expect. I feel such a challenge in my spirit. And the realization that I can have the Holy Ghost and still not have fullness of joy. There's something missing. I'm challenging you this morning. Perhaps that's something missing. Maybe you felt it in some ways I've been preaching to you today. That's something that doesn't seem quite right. Is because it's been a long sowing season in your life with little harvest. I want us to pray this morning. Lord Jesus, we come before you. God, your word's gone forth. I ask you, Lord, that it would do its work today, Lord. Do its work in my life, Lord. Lord, I ask you that a conviction would grab my heart, Lord, that it's not just something that I can pass away. But, Lord, I'm challenged by the harvest, Lord. There's a joy in the harvest. Lord, I'm asking you to restore that joy to me, God. Lord, as I lift my eyes this morning, God, I realize it's not something that may just come my way, but I have a responsibility to lift my eyes and look and see. And God, I'm asking you to open my eyes today. It may be my friends, my family, but Lord, it may not be them. But Lord, I'm not satisfied with not having a harvest in my life. Lord, challenge my spirit today. Lord, help me to lay aside every excuse, God. It doesn't matter if I think they're valid or not, Lord. Lord, I come open before you today, God. Asking you, Lord, to show me the harvest in my life. Amen. I'm going to open these altars this morning. And I realize it seems like It ends on it down. I believe conviction needs to be in this place. So I'm not trying to wash that away. But there's something in it too because joy is connected with it. That I might be able to make it through my situation if I would simply look at the harvest. That I might be able to see things come to pass in my life that have been missing because the shout has been restored to my life so I'm challenging you this morning if you want to come and pray simply say Lord where's the harvest in my life Lord if it's a sowing season then that's fine I'm fine with that but Lord I don't want to excuse away my lack of harvest anymore I don't want to spiritualize away anymore well it's not the right time well they're not ready the fields are white right now In fact, I would go so far to say that there's somebody that you know in your life right now that is ready for God. It may not be the obvious person. They may not come to mind right away. But the harvest is white this morning. Come on, join me in prayer this morning.